Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Sandpiper Tapes. Uh, this would be episode three. I can't believe it's gone this far already, but um, yeah, I guess October's just kind of going by. Um, thank you for joining us again. If this is your first time listening to the Sandpiper Tapes, my name is Nathaniel. Um, I kind of fell into this on my own. This is probably a little bit different from most podcasts that you listen to, but the story sort of goes like this. Um, during the course of my job, I was given a box of tapes by two very uh, kind ladies, um, also a little bit on the creep factor, but hey, what are you going to do? It's it's the fall. Um, and the box was full of cassette tapes, and the, there was five cassette tapes in the, uh, in the box that we got. On the side was written the word Sandpiper. We don't know what that means. We don't know where it came from. We don't know what it could be referring to. Um, but we're kind of determined to, I guess, find out. Is that the goal here, more or less? We're definitely uh, just finding out what's on the tapes because the tapes have quite honestly freaked us out. Um, when I say us, I'm referring to my coworker Adam, who uh, has kindly helped us decipher and uh, play the tapes for you guys and also records these moments ahead of time where I talk to you uh, pretty directly. Um so, that kind of brings you up to speed. We've got two in the bag so far. Please do check them out uh, if you can. And um, continue on and listen to this one. So, our tape this week is definitely a different one. It's it's weird. Um, from what we can tell, this is the first tape that hasn't been written by the voice or the narrator on the tapes. This um and the reason we know that is not only does it not necessarily match his typical writing style, but it also um, has a different sticker on the front. So um, normally when we get these tapes uh, to kind of describe them to you, they look like your typical cassette tape, except they've had a sticker on the front that has a felt tip marker in the past that has told us what we're calling what we think are the titles of the tapes. Uh, the first one was That's Fair. The second one was 1999. Um, this one has is called uh, a brief history of night um, so right away completely different kind of uh, wording on the title a different style um, but also this one appears to be signed um, and the handwriting on that is completely different so we can what we can tell the the, the name on there is Caitlin G um, we don't really know where that interacts or anything like that um, hopefully you know she may be the first of uh, the first person that we can kind of track down uh, outside of this may it may it may give us some sort of lead, um, but there's a lot of Caitlyn G's in the world, um, so hopefully if if they are listening to this by some way or some somehow some way um, they enjoy it and maybe we can we can talk to them and maybe find out exactly what is going on here, um, but that's really uh, more or less it from me. Um, I guess I will tell you to, you know, like, subscribe, share the podcast here so we can we can get out there and, and, and get this to more people. But uh, this will be it for me for now until I'll come back at a little bit after the end of the episode and talk to you guys a little bit more. But uh, from now on, um, this is the brief history of night and the podcast you're listening to is the Sandpiper Tapes. Dividing lines between today and yesterday. It was morning when her family moved next door to Ezra. 
She was 14, seven years his senior, and it was drizzling rain. Ezra sat in his room, watching a TV special about atomic bombs. A number of years ago, the government had dropped some on a settlement in the Nevada desert. Survival Town was inhabited by mannequins, stiff-armed mothers setting plates of food on kitchen tables, groups of friends at dinner parties with frozen smiles, children forced to forever clean their rooms. Ezra was fascinated. The footage of the blast didn't bother him, but he was unnerved by the mannequins who sat firmly in their chairs, unknowing or indifferent to their fate. After the dust cleared, there were scatterings and twists of limbs and heads, in an idealized city reduced to plastic parts and melted metal screws. He could hardly tear his eyes away from the screen when his mother called him to come downstairs and greet the new neighbors. Reluctantly, he turned off the TV and shuffled down the stairs. In the kitchen, his mother was serving cups of hot chocolate with marshmallows to two girls. Hot chocolate with marshmallows was Ezra's favorite, and he couldn't understand why Mama was sharing his favorite, especially to two girls. Their backs were to him. The smaller one turned and saw him first. Hi, she said. I'm Nanda. She awkwardly pressed her thumb and pinky together to touch at the center of her forehead, an example of the common greeting. Chocolate was smeared on her freckled cheeks. Hi, Ezra said. I'm Ezra. He brought his fingers to his forehead, a little less awkwardly. At the sound of his voice, the other girl turned. She was older than Nanda, but her body had yet to give way the last willowy vestiges of childhood. Her hair was severely braided behind her back, exposing light eyes. Cheekbones were dusted with a faint blush that belied her concentrated nature. She gave a glimmer of a smile, a tightening of the temples, rather than a loose release of her mouth. Her arms were stiff at her sides. I'm Isla, she said, and she promptly turned around again. Nanda sighed and gave Ezra a shrug of apology, but Ezra was transfixed. It only later occurred to him that Isla was beautiful. At that moment, he could only think of her as a mannequin blasted by a bomb, but not the blank blaster ones from the TV special. The exploded Isla mannequin was flesh and blood and wood. Black hair come loose from its plait, Neck snapped back, supple legs twisted underneath her. The next day, Ezra took his time walking home from school. Late afternoon light glinted between tree leaves and fell in puddles at his feet. He practiced a song he was learning in school. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. He stooped to pick up a worm from the sidewalk. Ezra held it in his hand, struck by its softness. He pet it gently. It was striped brown and black, and it raised its head inquisitively into the air. Ezra laughed. Hello, Mr. Worm, he said. You shouldn't be crawling on the sidewalk if you don't want to get squished. Setting it down in the grass, Ezra watched it shimmy away. He wondered about its family. Did Mr. Worm tell Little Worm that sidewalks were dangerous places? Did Little Worm wait eagerly for Mr. Worm to come home, heart beating fast, frightened that there'd be a new Mr. Worm-shaped blob on the sidewalk that evening? As Ezra thought his thoughts and wondered his wonderings, he made his way back home. There was somebody on his front porch, wild black hair against white siding. It was Isla. He was surprised. Yesterday she wasn't very friendly. She was holding a block of wood and a flick knife. Her hair fell across her knees as she leaned forward, the tip of her tongue exposed and folded up in concentration. She was wearing the school uniform, but Ezra couldn't remember seeing her there that day. 
The khakis were too short and revealed little bits of delicate ankle. She scratched at it absently with the blunt edge of her knife and didn't look up when Ezra stood in front of her. He watched her for a while as she peeled back strips of wood. What are you doing? he asked finally. Isla didn't react, just kept on carving. There was silence. Ezra shifted uncomfortably from foot to foot. He cleared his throat. What are you doing? he said again, a little louder. Isla looked up quickly, like she had forgotten where she was. Her eyes were wild, blue fire spitting flames. I hate it here, was all she said, and went back to her work. Ezra didn't know what to do, so he sat down next to her. He was so close he could see the light hair on her arms. What are you making? he asked. He saw the corner of her mouth tighten into a slight smile. A totem, Isla said. Ancient people thought they'd protect them in times of danger. They were wrong. Ezra didn't know what some of those words meant, but they made his heart to dumb in his chest. What do you think about our names? she asked. With the West accent, when you pronounce my S, they sound so much alike. Isla and Ezra. Similar sounds warped into new. Ezra flows into Isla. Same amount of syllables without that rough R. An image swam, unbidden, to the forefront of Ezra's mind. A pine cone rolled underfoot, crushed and reformed. Isla paused for a moment and looked at him hard. Ezra was at a complete loss. Do you think people with the same name have the same soul? Again, Isla looked up at him expectantly. And again, he didn't know how to answer. He had never met a name with two bodies. No one he knew had the same name. How could they keep track of one another then? What about someone with a twisted name, she asked, returning to her carving. Ezra was silent and just watched her work. People today don't make their own totems anymore, Isla said. They buy them in markets or give them as gifts, and they still don't work. In the late afternoon light, she held up her piece of wood transformed into a smooth, pointed scythe. At dinner that evening, his mother told his father about the new neighbors. Two lovely girls, she said, between spears of steak. The youngest is Ezra's age, the older one is pretty, and soon she will be beautiful. The words hung heavily in the air. The song swam back into Ezra's thoughts. Hide it under a bushel? Oh no, I'm gonna let it shine. Hmph his father said. And the parents? Ezra's father had been born in the West, a section notorious for their electric gates and patrollers who had shouldered guns on top of concrete walls. He did not like foreigners. Seem nice, his mother said. Just said hello as they were moving in. I'm waiting for you to go over with me. Ezra glanced up from his plate. The only lit lamp in the kitchen was set over their table, casting strange shadows across his parents' faces. He saw his father's jaw tighten. Can we turn on some more light, Mama? Ezra interjected. He said it without thinking, desperate to steer the conversation away from the new neighbors. It made his stomach squirm to think about them. His father swung his head. So eager to work already, he asked. Go find a job. The more lamps we turn on, the less dinner on your plate. He waggled his fork at Ezra, sending bits of spinach flying. Somebody has to pay for the energy we use. Oh, stop, Alec, his mother said. 
He's only seven. He doesn't understand. Ezra did. What he didn't get was how they could be comfortable living in a world without light. Tonight especially, it lay like a heavy shroud across their table. Ezra could feel it pushing on his chest. Hide it under a bushel. Oh no, I'm gonna let it shine. When I'm big, he once told his mother, I'll get so rich I live in the sun. That way it'll never be night. She had smiled. Only if you want to burn up, she said, you'll get nice and crispy, like Ezra-flavored bacon. Ezra said he couldn't think of anything better than living in the sun and tasting like bacon. Light burned, but darkness suffocated. It could open its mouth and swallow little boys whole. Not so long ago, Ezra's mother gave him a little nightlight so long as he promised not to tell his father. It was a small thing, not even as strong as a candle, but it was still Ezra's favorite possession, a thing that was well and truly his. He thought about it longingly as he sat at the dinner table. He pushed his food around his plate, avoiding the stare of the dark that loomed over him. I met Mr. Worm today, he said in his most important grown-up voice. He was out for a troll on the sidewalk. It's stroll, sweet pea, his mother said. Finish your dinner, his father said. Ezra took a bite of steak. He chewed and chewed, but the darkness on his chest wouldn't let him swallow. The meat tenderized and began to disintegrate in his mouth. It wouldn't go down. His throat gasped and he tried to swallow the meat. Ezra wondered if Mr. Worm made Little Worm eat tough steak. Tears built up in his eyes. He quietly leaned back into his shadow and spit into the napkin. After he helped clear the table and took his bath, Ezra kissed his parents goodnight and ran upstairs. He had to work quickly. His bedroom was gloomy, the only light coming in from the street lamp outside. The hair on his arm stood at attention. Ezra slid his feet against the carpet and felt his way to his bed. Under his mattress was a little wooden box where he hid his nightlight. Feeling along the wall, Ezra used his fingers to locate a socket. Relieved, he plugged in his light. Immediately, a kaleidoscope of softened greens and blues stretched across the floor and up the wall. Squares of color were broken into jagged corners that elongated as they climbed towards the ceiling. It wasn't light that exposed or illuminated, but it did relax the smothering darkness. Hide it under a bushel? Oh no! Ezra breathed and climbed into his bed. He fell into uneasy sleep. When Ezra awoke, it was still dark. He was alert, like he had slept a whole night. He rolled over to look at his clock. 7.34 a.m. He blinked. 7.34 a.m. That must be wrong. It was late spring, and the sun rose much earlier. The street lamp was still lit. He heard his parents talking downstairs. His mother's voice rose and extinguished at odd intervals. Ezra wrapped a blanket around himself and crept out of his room. He kept his nightlight on. Downstairs was flooded with light, something that was usually not allowed in Ezra's house. The hallway was illuminated in a kind of defiant ecstasy. There were no shadows. Ezra peeked into the kitchen and saw his parents huddled around the small window above the sink. The blinds were closed, and his father was peering through a slat. Mama? Ezra whispered. She spun around. Ezra saw her trying to calm the panic in her eyes. Hey, baby, she said, reaching for him. Why are all the lights on? Ezra asked, as he allowed himself to be drawn into her warm body. She looked up at his father. 
He didn't look at either of them. I don't think we're going to school today, his father said instead. Ezra was confused. His mother gave him a wide smile. No school today! How about that? she exclaimed. Her grip around Ezra tightened. But what about the naughty police? he asked. His parents had told him about such a force designed to go around and arrest children who skipped school and didn't take baths. His father gave a short laugh. I think they have other things to worry about today. Ezra's next question was cut off by a strange, piercing wail from outside. It was a moan, exploded. Ezra had never heard such a sound before. He clapped his hands over his ears. He thought of the mannequins. If they had had time to scream, this is what they would sound like. Take Ezra to his room, his father said quietly, still looking out the window. Ezra's mother looked up at him with fear and grabbed Ezra. Come on, baby, she said. Let's go upstairs. Ezra didn't move. What's wrong, Papa? His father didn't look at him. Go to your room, he said. Ezra was still confused. What's going on? Mama, all the lights are on. What about energy bills? His father whipped his head around from the window. Get to your room now, he said through gritted teeth. Let's go, Ezra, his mother begged. We talked to energy bills. They're okay with us keeping the lights on this time. Come on, let's go play with Bunny and Ladybug. I think we should take them. Bang, bang, bang. The sound was coming from the front door. Let us in, voices called. Alec, open up. It's Eric and Landon, Ezra's father said, hurrying from the window. Ezra's mother switched on the light above the stove. It was unnecessary, a flourish of light. Ezra ducked into a corner. There were no shadows to hide in. His father came back in with two men, both neighbors. Landon's son, Brian, was Ezra's age. He always pushed when they played basketball. Landon and Eric would come over in the evenings to sip stale-smelling drinks and talk about adult things with Ezra's dad. In the dusk, Ezra had always thought the men large and foreboding. Now, their faces were tight and they looked shrunken. Ezra thought if he stood up straight, he'd be as tall as them. They nodded to Ezra's mother and set two flashlights on the counter. Here, Landon said. Keep these with you. Smithy had a bunch in his garage. Seems he was stockpiling them. Is Smithy okay with this? Ezra's mother asked. Landon and Eric looked at each other. They didn't see Ezra, who had crouched under the kitchen table. Eric shook his head. We don't know what happened, he said. We went by his house on the way here. Somebody got him. Windows were smashed and the front door was missing. Landon walked inside and... Eric swallowed. Enough, his mother interrupted. She glanced at Ezra and gripped a flashlight. Thank you for these. Both of the men nodded. Do you think it's... It's... Ezra's father's voice broke. Ezra was startled. He had never heard his father make those sorts of sounds. He was always sure. Always right. Landon's mouth set in a thin line. We don't know, he said. Right now, all signs point to yes. Stay here, Eric said. We know that the new neighbors are from the north. I'm going to go talk with them, now. Alicia, do you know anything about them? Ezra's mother shook her head. Just that they're from the north, she said, her voice quivering slightly. I briefly talked to the husband, Aaron, today. He said he wasn't used to all the sun. I thought it was funny, you know. It was raining. The two men nodded grimly. 
I won't be long, Eric said, and they turned to go. He glanced back at the family. Be sure to keep the lights on. Ezra's mother didn't explain what was happening. His father set up a chair in the foyer and was looking through the curtains. He set the flashlight across his lap. In Ezra's mind, it looked like one of those big people words. A gun. When Ezra asked his mother what time it was, she said it was past eight in the morning. Why is it dark? he asked. And she said the sun had decided to sleep in today. Can I sleep in too? How about breakfast instead? she asked, accidentally rummaging through the cupboards. Ezra didn't say anything. She grabbed a bowl and poured him some cereal. It was his father's kind that he wasn't allowed to eat. He didn't know if his mother noticed. He felt strange eating breakfast with night outside. The cereal tasted like chalk. Suddenly, the lights flickered. Ezra heard his father's chair scrape across the floor. A zap, and the stove light was out. Ezra's mother gasped. Alec, she said, her voice shaking. He crept into the kitchen and pressed the flashlight into her hands. Take Ezra upstairs, now, he said, and turn on all the lights. She nodded and grabbed Ezra. Mama, Ezra started to cry. Mama, what's happening? She gathered him in her arms. I don't know, baby, she said. Something's wrong. Let's go to your room. She started up the stairs when another scream ripped through from outside. His mother hurried to his bedroom, covering Ezra's ears. He could still hear the scream build and morph into a dozen other yelling voices, shouts and crashes, strange scratches at the door, and then darkness. Every light, even Ezra's little nightlight, was extinguished all at once. He even thought he heard his nightlight moan as it was snuffed out, a little cry, like it was surprised. Ezra couldn't even make out the street lamp. He had never seen darkness like this before, full and complete, a robust black that poured down his nose and coated his stomach in inky gloom. He couldn't breathe. Mama? His voice shook. They were sitting on his bed. He pulled his blanket tighter around him, but its familiar softness was indifferent now. Alec, his mother whispered, then louder. Alec! Ezra could feel her heart beating fast. She wrapped her arms around him again. Her smell, clean lemon and lavender, was foreign in the pressing darkness. He heard his father stumble up the stairs and run into Ezra's room. He shone his flashlight directly into their eyes. Alicia, he shouted, turn on your flashlight. His mother fumbled and clicked it on. Immediately, the room was flooded with cold, white light. Ezra had never seen his father look so wild. His eyes were blazing, his hair uncombed, and he was still wearing his robe. Shadows pressed in from all around him. Ezra drew back and pressed closer to his mother. Alec, what's happening? His mother was close to tears. His father shook his wild head, sat down on the bed, gathering them into his arms. I don't know. He let out a sob. Outside, there were more screams. Ezra's parents aimed their flashlights up, so light fell over them like cruel rain. Ezra saw something move across the ceiling. He blinked. There it was again. A formless thing, clawing at the light. Something was scratching against the window. Horrified, his father beamed his light towards the sound. They couldn't see anything, but there it was. A hurried scratching, now coupled with heavy panting. Ezra felt his chest cave in. Darkness was coming for him. 
More scratching, a high-pitched whine vibrating the glow of the flashlights. Ezra felt his mother's tears fall on the back of his neck. Suddenly, his nightlight flickered back on, and they were bathed in its soft colors. It could barely penetrate the deep blackness. I'm gonna let it shine. We need to get out of here, his father whispered. And go where? His mother's whisper almost broke. How do we know what's out there? The window pane rattled. All three of them gasped, and Ezra's father directed his flashlight at the window. Its light broke over the screen and bounced back at them. They couldn't see anything. Out of the corner of his eye, Ezra saw red creeping across his floor. Mama! He cried. The greens and blues of Ezra's nightlight were stained crimson. The squares of light were bloodied, leaking towards the bed. What is that? His father asked hoarsely. Where is that coming from? The stains reached his bare feet, and he recoiled in horror. My light is bleeding, Ezra shouted. He twisted into his mother's lap. Make it stop. Mama, help it. But it didn't. The red spread until it ate away all the blue-green. Ezra's family was on his bed, surrounded by an island of bloodied light. The shaking at the windows grew more insistent, and just as suddenly as it had spread, the red began to retreat towards the window, as if something was sucking at it. It blinked and wavered. Ezra's mother was hyperventilating. The light, she gasped. It's dying. Something... it's being killed. Ezra's nightlight was extinguished again. The floor was clear, save for the ghostly outlines of broken squares. They heard voices outside. Ezra's father raised his head. We need to go out there, he said. I think it's better if we are around people. He took a tentative step off of the bed. It was like treading on a gravestone. It's okay, he said, beckoning to Ezra and his mother. Bring your flashlight. I have one in my drawer, Ezra whispered, pointing to his dresser. It was a present, remember? His father nodded, pulling it open. He brought out a small flashlight and clicked it on. Instead of beams of light, blood poured out. Ezra screamed and his father threw it down with a yell. The scratching grew louder, panting breath and gnashing teeth. Ezra's mother wildly waved her flashlight around the room, trying to find the source of the sound. Ezra's eyes flickered back and forth with the light as it tried to eat away at the darkness. It melted into the night, and the scratching morphed into a shriek. Bang! 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 Turn off your lights! An unfamiliar voice shouted from outside. Turn off your lights! More bangs, and then a crash. His mother whimpered, and his father jerked up. Alec! Landed's voice shouted. Up here! Ezra's father yelled back. Landon and another man tore into the room, shielding their eyes against the shine from the flashlights. Turn off your lights, the man shouted, almost hysterical. Ezra's window broke. Now! The man wrestled the flashlight from Ezra's father, who was too stunned to react. He clicked it off and grabbed the other one. They were plunged into complete darkness. Immediately, the scratching stopped. There was heavy breathing and some sobs, which Ezra realized were his own. The only glow came from Ezra's clock, 8.41 a.m. Is everyone accounted for in this house? Ezra heard the strange man ask. Yes, his father's voice shook. Who the hell are you? This is Aaron, Landon said from the doorway. He just moved next door. He's from the north. The man grunted his agreement. What's happening? Ezra's mother choked. Why can't we turn on the lights? What's out there? Why is it so dark? We're gathering in 20 minutes in Union Park, the stranger said. 
bring only one flashlight. He fumbled and clicked on a small pocket light. He held it up to his face. Even in the gloom, Ezra could see he shared the same light eyes as Isla. His nose was sharper, though, and deep shadows buried into crevices on his face. I'm gonna let it shine. The smaller the light, the better, he said. I'll explain what I know then. He gave them a quick nod, and he and Landon walked out of the room, lit only by the small glow from his light. It's a strange thing to navigate the world in darkness. Ezra and his parents moved slowly. They used only one flashlight. Ezra waited for his mother to mention that it had been a good idea for him to clean the day before. She didn't say anything. Mama, he whispered. It was a good thing I picked up my toys, right? His voice reverberated in the darkness as they worked their way down the stairs. Uh, yes, yes it was, baby, she stammered. Take off your blanket, or you'll trip. Ezra gripped it tighter. It was the only thing keeping back the black from touching him. It was cool outside. Wind cut through Ezra's hair. There was no sun to soften its blow. He saw other lights bobbing in the distance. They passed Mr. Friday, who was helping his elderly mother down the porch steps. Over his head, he held an electric lantern. He looked up when they passed. He just nodded, and Ezra realized he could only see the pin prick of their flashlight. They had been reduced to shadows. Union Park was two blocks away. Ezra could hear swells of panicked voices and anxious rustling bodies. His mother pulled him close as they approached. The air vibrated with a strange energy. Ezra tried to make out the yellow slide in the gloom. He strained his eyes trying to find the monkey bars he was finally big enough to cross. He could only see wavering shadows, a cool flickering of flesh and glow. He gripped his mother's hand tighter. Ezra. He heard a sharp whisper. Ezra! Ezra twisted around, trying to find the source of the sound. His mother also heard it, and shone her flashlight in his direction. Ezra saw flaming blue eyes. Isla was crouched under a bush next to Ezra. Hey, Ezra said. What are you doing here? Where's your mama and papa? He tried to wiggle out of his mother's grip to draw closer to Isla. Do not move from that bush, his mother murmured. Ezra knelt down next to Isla. She was humming, gripping her upper arms, her hair grazed against the ground. Isla, Ezra whispered, are you okay? Isla giggled. She shone the flashlight straight into his eyes. Ezra clapped his hands over them. You look scared, she said, almost taunting. Are you still scared of the dark? She clicked the light off. Her eyes seemed to blaze. Ezra drew back. The fire in her eyes cast shadows into the darkness. Why are you saying that? Ezra asked, trying to puff out his chest. Where's Nanda? Where's your papa? Isla giggled, almost hysterical. I told you. She spoke again and flicked the flashlight on and off very quickly. Totems don't work. Ezra's heart was pounding. Isla, he whispered. Stop. She started to rock back and forth. I told him I hated this place, she said. I told them that they couldn't escape the night, shouldn't try to escape it. Daylight never lasts. Darkness is the only sure substance in the world, precisely because it is not. You can't turn off night. I told them, she giggled. I told them. She reached for Ezra, grabbing his arm. She twisted his skin as he tried to wrestle away. 
You can hide everything in the dark, she said. Ezra could feel her breath on his cheek as he craned his neck away. That's what this is. You can hide everything. Please, Isla, let me go. Ezra trembled. She gripped him harder. Remember when I asked about your name, she asked? And if a twisted name meant a twisted soul? She leaned in so close that Ezra could feel heat from the flames in her eyes. Her pupils poured down into black nothingness. It does. Ezra recoiled back. I need everyone to be quiet, he heard someone shout. Isla smiled. That's my father, she said. He was shouting some more. The most important thing we can do right now, Aaron said, is keep our heads about us. Ezra wondered what would happen if he let his head go, just twisted it from his neck and let it waddle around. We have been cursed with night. Murmurs rose and swelled. That was an uneasy shift in the crowd. Ezra looked at him triumphantly. Ezra knew about the night. They learned about it in school. It had bled through the north, plunging cities into perpetual darkness. They mostly read about the people who went looking for the day. Dawn turned into the stuff of legends. Storytellers would drop heroic images of the saviors of the day. Radio stations would release hourly broadcasts on daylight sightings, and sons left their mothers to die in search of mourning. Ezra had been assured that night was only allowed for a limited time here, that in no way would it be allowed to penetrate the dawn, and now it had. I moved here to get away from night, a woman shouted hysterically. There is never a tomorrow. We are stuck in forever today. At this, a wave of unease rolled through the crowd. Ezra saw the big folks shift from foot to foot. For Christ's sakes, a man yelled. Turn on the goddamn lights. That's the only thing that can defeat the darkness. Voices of agreement. No, Aaron yelled, waving his arms wildly. No, we cannot do that. That will only encourage the flock of light eaters. They will. A roar of an engine cut him off, and Ezra was blinded by light. Several large trucks roared to life, their lights shining into the crowd. Many people cheered. No, Aaron screamed. You must turn off your lights. People began to move towards the trucks. Isla was laughing. Ezra jumped and saw his mother's panicked face looking at him. She was swept up in the crowd. Ezra, she yelled. He broke out of the bush and started running towards her. Suddenly, a man in front of him dropped his flashlight. It was bleeding, its light quickly dying. He fell to the ground. Night clawed at his face. He screamed. Bodies pressed over him, tumbling into the dancing darkness. More screaming and panicked energy reverberated around Ezra. A little girl shrieked. Her barrette glittered in the light, and Ezra saw her twist and fall. The darkness began to swallow her. Mama! Ezra screamed. Mama, that little girl! People surged past him. Mama! Ezra screamed again. Papa! He looked around wildly, but could only see bodies rushing every way, panicked yells puncturing the night. He ran towards the trucks. A shattering of broken glass, and the lights on the trucks bled and wavered. The screams grew louder and more violent. Ezra ran blindly. He opened his mouth to yell for his parents again and tasted salt. He was crying. Somebody ran by and knocked him over, his nose crushed into the earth. There was blood, and Ezra couldn't tell if it was from his nose or the light. Ezra suddenly thought of Mr. Worm and his family. Surely they were squished by now. That thought made him cry harder. Mama, he cried hoarsely. Mama. 
He felt someone grab his arm. It was Isla. Whatever you do, she whispered, do not turn on the lights. Ezra saw her grin. It's dying, she said. Only darkness is forever. You can't turn it off. Ezra shook. Mama, he sobbed, make it go away. With Isla came the night, and nothing, little boy or little nightlight, was safe. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And that is the tape this week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again for listening to this. Um, definitely a different story. Like I said, I think listening to that, you can definitely tell it is written by um, someone else, even if it is narrated by the same person. So the question becomes, who is Caitlin G? Um, are there more tapes out there like this that aren't from you know the narrator? Is that even really the narrator's writing, I should say, um, from the start? Who knows? <laughs> you guys know just about as much of this as I do. Um, it is just every week that we find out, you know, what the next, um, tape is going to be, what's going out. Um, next week we are still determining there are two left, two tapes left in the box. We're trying to figure out, um, which one is kind of the better one to go with at this point, which one is, is less damaged or anything. Um, so I will keep you, uh, informed of that if you want to find out ahead of time please do follow us on twitter and instagram because i do post um clips or or kind of behind the scenes stuff of of adam and i working and, and kind of how the stuff is going uh week to week so uh, if you want a better glimpse into kind of our life or how we do that um if you want to hear more from me you can by all means follow me on back row banter or listen to more of that um but please, please like, subscribe, share, um, let everyone know about the Sandpiper tapes, and we will see you all next week, hopefully. Thank you. Be excellent to each other, and bye. <laughs>